Welcome back to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your web-slinging host, Javi. <laughs> this will probably take us back to the early days of the podcast, but one of the earlier episodes that we did of the show was where we reviewed uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And if you remember, that is kind of a unique episode in our catalog because it was the only one that was like a roundtable discussion as opposed to just me and Javi on the show uh, kind of yelling at each other. So... Uh, Danny and Jose, who joined us on the episode that we did, you know, about a year ago at this point, uh, discussing Spider-Man, because they are much more familiar with the character than we are, we decided to bring them back, as we promised on that episode, because this week we're finally doing Spider-Man 2. Angel held their families hostage and made them made them join us. <laughs> Where is she? <laughs> Where's my daughter? Where's Mary Jane? <laughs> because... Uh, don't you know you guys haven't gone back to listen to that episode go back and listen to it uh i think we made lots of references in that episode to this movie that we're talking about now and i think we made it a point that once we are going to get into talking spider-man or spider-man 2 that we're going to bring this group back together so be ready for an hour of these assholes shitting on me (laughs) this is this is a 2004 movie directed by sam raimi it is the second in his Spider-Man trilogy, and obviously for most people, we don't talk about Spider-Man 3, so, you know, it's... And I think we talked about it too, Javi, when we did our Batman Begins like episode. I made like references to how I was very much out of comic book movies by like the mid-2000s, and really what brought me back to have any interest in this at all, and set me up for excitement for Batman Begins, was the Spider-Man series. And I'm talking... Spider-Man 1 and 2. So, this, when I think of the quintessential kind of, like, superhero movie that got me into superhero movies, I really am thinking about this. Because uh, I think a lot of the Batman movies are more of my childhood, more than anything. So, uh, what's your what's your first experience with the, I guess, we could, we could say the Spider-Man series, but, I mean, particularly 1 and 2. I think with 2... Well, I immediately got hooked after one, right? I think I was like, I think the when did one come out? Was it one or o two? It was o two, o two, right? So yeah, I was like nine or ten years old, and it was like the first successful superhero movie in a while. It really, definitely, like got your hype back up for superhero movies, and the fact that it was a movie that very clearly set up a sequel, you're just like, oh shit, I can't wait for Spider-Man 2. Like, how's this not gonna get greenlit? How's this not, like, this story not gonna continue, you know? So I remember as soon as uh, I saw Spider-Man 1, I'm like, yep, it doesn't matter, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna can't wait for Spider-Man 2. I already know it's gonna come out, it's gonna be rad. And yeah, like, pretty much, I remember... It must have been, like, I think maybe I was in sixth grade or so, and then he started hearing about how it's going to be about Doc Ock and how Doc Ock's the main villain in this movie. Um, yeah, like, it was really interesting because this is the this is the this is, franchise was the one that started getting me into comics because after that is when I really started getting into, um, I think at the time I, it was, like, Ultimate Spider-Man. Like, I was reading a lot of Ultimate Spider-Man. Um and really just kind of following those story beats. But yeah, like, just right off the bat, I was, I, I, I was, there's not much to say. I was like, I was all in as soon as I watched Spider-Man 1, you know? Was it? Yeah, so for me, like, my first intro to um, Spider-Man was, you know, the animated series in the 90s. Um, 
I must have been, I don't know, like five, six years old when I was first introduced to Spider-Man. And from then, I was just hooked. I didn't start reading the comics until like way later into like high school, early college days. Um, but I remember um, seeing Spider-Man when I was in middle school, I think. When, in 2002, I was probably around 6th or 7th grade. And then uh, once this came out, uh, Spider-Man 2, we were already in high school. And um, I just remember going to the theater and just um, being like, wow, man, this this is probably one of the best superhero movies to date. You know, at, at that time, what did we have to work with? It was, like you said, Batman. And then, uh, like, Tim Burton's Batman, I was probably, like, some of the best um, superhero movies for, of the nineties, you know, um, let's be clear. And then like, let's be clear. Batman <laughs> fully flamed out at the end of the nineties. Once Batman forever came out, it, it killed interest in most any like comic book properties coming to live action. So, and, and I think and blade right, happened. Well, yeah, blade blade was the first kind of like, you know, like mainstream, I guess, like, Marvel movie, you know, that wasn't one of those, like, shelved, low-budget Corman productions that they were doing. But um, I think, you know, part of th there's so much around this because part of it is how big, like, not just, like, the excitement was for Spider-Man, period, but let's be clear, like, this, the original Spider-Man movie comes out the year after 9-11. So there was this kind of, like... It just in 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 pop culture and just in the world in general or in our country, you know, everybody had this attitude, kind of like I guess what we're going through now in some ways. It's kind of like this: we're all in this together, and you know, we're we're these are the real hero. Like we're everyone's looking for a hero to kind of idealize and all that stuff. And I think it was the right hero at the right time. Um, this movie, and I think we talked about it when we did Spider-Man: Far From Home last year, Javi. How I think. There's as good as that movie is, and as good as that series is, and as much as I love all the characters like in that new franchise, there is nothing, at least up until this point that I've seen, that that matches just the, it it just that matches just how big the stakes feel, and how big the city feels in this movie, and the set pieces that they built, you know, um, even like with Doc Ock's mechanical arms, those are like. You know, they had puppeteers you know, controlling these arms because it was kind of like that old school, like, um, what what do you call it, um, special effects? It's a mix of, like, what is it, mechanical and, and not, like, now CGI. It is old CGI, and there's, like, moments where, of course, like, you see Spider-Man, you know, swinging where he is very clearly animated. But it's, again, it is just the technology was perfect. To do this movie at this time and just those like giant like shots of seeing spider-man swing through the city uh is there's there's an iconography far from home captures it and even the ps4 video game captures it like everything even the scene in 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 into the spider-verse my intro to spider-man is like jose's the animated series on fox um i grew up as a 90s kid and then um from there, I watched, like, Spider-Man and his amazing friends with, like, Iceman and Firestar. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, for the life of me, like, I, I remember watching Spider-Man 1 and 2. It's just I don't remember where I saw them. Like, I don't know if I saw them in the theater or if it was just, like, ingrained into my mind somehow. Um, 
but I, I definitely saw them when they came out. It's just so so hard to place where and when I saw them back then. So between this, between the original Spider-Man movie and this one, they came out. The, the popularity of this. There was also a series on MTV too, like where it's like one season of this like nighttime MTV series. Uh, was it? Yeah, and it was like, wasn't it Neil Patrick Harris? I think who was Spider-Man then. Hell yeah. My... Yeah. Yeah, so, you're right. Yeah, I never watched was, that. Uh... Oh, I love that show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was bad. I loved it. No, I really loved it. Yeah, no, it's I very teen drama. It was pretty bad. <laughs> well, you know what? This this movie is very teen drama in a lot of ways too, and so. that's why it's bad. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no, it's just. It, 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 and I think the other thing too is just like that was it. Like the, the, part of what the hype of this came from, because obviously we were all on the internet. But, you know, really at this point, the internet was like what you, it was, you, you surfed the web on your home computer, right? Like that is, that is the world we were living in then. So really where a lot of the hype from this came from was like MTV. Like all the stars were doing, like the, it was MTV Movie Awards. It kind of really hyped up the first one. MTV did a lot of like uh, build up to this where they would show behind the scenes on the movie as it's coming out. Um and a lot of it kind of coincided with just, like, this weird, like, again, like I said, like, post-9-11, kind of like, you know, we're all coming together now, and this is, like, the New York hero for everyone, so... It, it, New the, York was America. Yeah, yeah, at this point in time, it was, and and I think it is, and I think it's, it is important to think of it in the moment that it was coming in, so... Uh, again, the original Spider-Man, we watched the origin... Where uh, Peter Parker, who was played by Tobey Maguire, so Tobey Maguire as Peter Parker, uh, what's it called? Harry Kirsten Osborne says uh, Franco and uh, Kirsten Dunst as MJ. Uh, they are the three main characters of this franchise. And in the original film, uh, the Green Goblin was the villain, and he was played by Willem Dafoe. And uh, it was a you know it was a, I thought it was a really good movie. It was fantastic. Everyone loved it. But I think we, I, I think I was more familiar with Doc Ock for whatever reason. I think it's just the way he looked, and because I'd seen him in the cartoon, he was just the villain that I was most that I was most familiar with. And I think because you had the toys, Javi, like that was also part of why I knew who he was. And so I was very much looking forward to this. Also, you know. The actor that they got to play him in this film, Alfred Molina, is a really fantastic actor who I really only remember because wasn't he smashing, uh, <laughs> wasn't he smashing, uh, what's her name? Uh, Frida. She was in Frida. Uh, are, you talking, are you talking about Salma Hayek? Salma Hayek, right? Wasn't, yeah, that was it. Yeah, because he was Diego, whatever the fuck Frida's shitty husband was named. Yeah. I, Diego Rivera. Yeah. I know that because my college is like you know when I was taking acting classes in college, our theater. Oh my was, fucking Our God, theater is named after Diego Rivera. <laughs> you were wearing scarves and. And let's not drawers. forget his short appearance in Indiana Jones. <laughs> he was wait really he was in Indiana Jones. He, wait, yeah, Diego he was. Diego Rivera was in Indiana Jones. <laughs> Diego Rivera was in. <laughs> I remember like uh, Alfred Molina was in Indiana Jones. Um, I think he's like, I think it was Indy was trying to swap like uh, he was trying to swap some artifact, and then um, 
Alfred Molina like died in the pit or something. I thought you were gonna say he was like the the Buddha artifact. I was like, well, why are you why are you fat shaming Alfred Molina? <laughs> No, this no, this movie also like brought back a ton of characters from the first one, right? I mean, like besides our our three main characters, they bring back the actor who played Uncle Ben. They bring back the actress who played Aunt May, and these are much more comic accurate. Uh, Aunt May and and Uncle Ben. Ron uh, Parker's there. Betty Brand is there. Uh, I don't know. Uh, hey, Danny, what are some of the other like iconic characters they brought back for? J.K. Um, Simmons. J.K. Simmons. Yeah, you got J. Jonah Jameson. His astronaut son. Yeah. He becomes a werewolf by night or man wolf, I think. Oh, oh ben, shit! Ben he ben does, Brandt. doesn't he? Uh, and then who else is there? I know the first one had Flash Thompson. Right. Um, that's right. Then, yeah, I don't. I don't think um, Sam Raimi's brother was like in the comic books. I think his brother Ted was just like a cameo that they had. That he worked at the Bugle for, for J.K. or for J. Jonah Jameson. And they just yeah. kept him there. Yeah, and I think he had a bigger. He using more scenes, I think, at this one than he was in the first one. Too. <laughs> I just see him more in the background, but yeah, for sure. Peter Parker and Harry Osborn are best friends. Uh, Peter kind of like. You know, when he becomes Spider-Man, he ends up killing the Green Goblin. And now that Norman <laughs> is dead, yeah, now that Norman is dead, what's it called? Uh, Harry, you know, vows revenge against Spider-Man. So when this movie starts, he's very anti-Spider-Man. Uh, he is now like I think inherited his family's wealth because he seems to be running Oscorp. Um, Mary Jane is now an actress uh, doing plays and and all that in the city and i because i think in the first film they were like in college right the whole time like i don't think i don't think they no were they, like, were in high they were in high school, school. starting yeah. college okay so this is two years removed they're supposed to be like super early 20s and maybe like 20 21 ish mm-hmm. and so yeah i mean they're still fairly young like you know they're like you know, we get to follow Peter Parker during this time, and he's still in college. He's actually taking classes with my boy, Doc, uh, Dr. Connors, uh, freaking the future reptile or lizard? The lizard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm thinking of Mortal Kombat, my boy. The best. reptile. <laughs> <laughs> the legally distinct lizard. This is why This is why we need to bring people who know Spider-Man onto this show, because otherwise we'd embarrass ourselves for an hour. All right, so two years. This is two years after after the events of Spider-Man One. Uh, Peter Parker is also like as you said, he's in college, uh, you know, doing his collegiate work, uh, and he's also trying to balance that out with his life as Spider-Man. And I think early on, right away, it sets up the fact that he is struggling to try to balance those two things out. A very good, relatable way to set up your hero. And I think one of the things that we talked about before we've done, I don't remember I don't remember which of the Spider-Man reviews it was where we, where we talked about this, Javi, but I definitely mm-hmm. remember us talking about one of the things that is relatable about Spider-Man and the best Spider-Man stories are is just, like, him dealing with de- with having such a huge... Like, he, you know, he's very human. He's He doesn't get things right all the time. And a lot of the issues that he has in the in the films that have been put out for him are just him balancing out being a superhero along with trying to live his life. 
And because they always kind of put him on the younger side, it's always stuff like balancing out schools, re- school relationships, uh, part-time jobs, etc. And I think it, it, it helps us, you know, understand that even though he's someone who's got superpowers, his superpowers aren't going to help him in situations where he needs to think about who he really is and how he's really dealing with stuff. And I think it's it's a good natural progression from when the original Spider-Man like left off. I have to admit, one thing that I totally forgot about watching this movie, because it's been a few years since I've seen it, I swear to God, I thought that the original Spider-Man ended with him telling MJ that he was Spider-Man. Oh, you dumb bitch. <laughs> so... I, yeah, so this movie, I had a really hard time with with MJ's character the entire film because I did not recall that until we got to the end of this film. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I totally misread <laughs> her attitude throughout the entire movie. I swear to we're God. Talking, just... We're also talking to the guy that completely rewrote the ending of Drive in his own <laughs> weird fucking movie on, like... Two episodes ago, when we reviewed that shit, so I kind of not surprised you fucked this one up. Well, you know what? I kind of prefer it that way. I very much prefer, like, you know, again with these movies that I hadn't seen in years. It's like you think you have an idea of what it's like, but very much you're kind of rediscovering it, you know, for the first time in a long time, and that's essentially my experience here with this. So, you know, he's a pizza delivery boy. He takes the pizzas to. You know, wherever he's, he's trying to go, but at the same time, he has to stop crimes everywhere. And it's just, like, this really great, like, action scene of him stopping these robberies while, like, also trying to get this pizza to this place on time. And when he doesn't, he gets fired. His, like, comically <laughs> greedy landlord is chasing him down, like, everywhere that he is, like, trying to collect rent from him. And oh, you mean it's just... uh, Mr. Dickovich, I think is his name, which is actually a, uh, I think that that was like a reference to Steve Ditko or one of those Marvel nerds that put Marvel on the map. You mean one of the creators exactly. of Spider-Man? Man, we all know it's Stan Lee. He's the one that sur- outlived all those dumb bastards, so he gets the credit. Yeah, uh, Stan Lee is also gone? That? Now, but at the time... <laughs> <laughs> didn't yeah. you see? Didn't you see Stan Lee pull that woman away from the falling debris? Yeah, he was the Uatu the Watcher, dumbass guy. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's 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 kind of just like comedic, right? It's this comedic setup, and it's weird because this movie just ba- much like much like the first one, it just it balances out all these crazy tones, and I just remember being so blown away by the fact that this movie and the one before it were directed by Sam Raimi because, you know, Sam Raimi made his bones as a horror director. And even then, like, you know, after this series, he was so burned out on Spider-Man, he ends up going back to do a horror movie again. And he was also one of the producers behind that 2015 Poltergeist remake as well. So he's, you know, a lot of the stuff that he has done has been in horror and I think what's really exciting about this, like, to go off on a tangent, is that he is going to make his way back into comic book films again because he's going to be doing uh, the second Doctor Strange movie, uh, which is supposed to be him moving... madness, baby. Yeah, it's moving more in a bit of a horror direction. So uh, I definitely... It's... I think we talked about it before we started recording, but I, it's fun to kind of pick out a lot more of the Sam Raimi style in this that I didn't really understand when I saw it for the first time. 
So you want to talk about some of the Sam Raimi stuff in this? Yes. <laughs> His love of chainsaws. I fucking love that scene, dude. That Dr. Octopus, like the tentacles waking up scene was pure Raimi. And it's those shots of like those uh those tentacle point of view shots where like he's just murdering all these doctors. I'm like, oh yeah, that's totally uh what's it called in Evil Dead when the camera's running straight at people. I totally forgot that this scene was in this movie. And the funny thing is, when I was watching it, like, my daughter was, like, in the room. <laughs> my two-year-old daughter was, like, in the room with me. Just, like, and she could not take her eyes off the screen. And I'm pretty sure she's going to have nightmares, like, just because she saw that. But it was like pretty the third best graphic. scene in the movie, too. Yeah, it's really great. I think one of the things that I kind of love about this, it, it kind of reminded me of some of the more violent, like, stuff in Dark Knight, right? Like, they get away with doing some of this stuff because it's like, we'll show you a little bit. But we're not going to get too gory about it. It was, it, it's what's impressive about it is it's Sam Raimi in your face without it being like cartoonish claymation, blood and guts, Evil Dead. Like it's just it, it seems like he's grow like he's grown up in this, but it's still like classic Sam Raimi and like you know yeah when way. when when you say that I mean there's that scene where. Um... You know, he's he's harnessing the power of the sun in his laboratory and then, you know, it, it becomes unstable and and his and his wife is there and she's 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 trying to um she screams, right? And then you just see the glass coming at her, like that's totally a Raimi like scene from like any of those movies. And then when you see her getting carted away, it's like her face like looks like nothing happened to it, she's just dead. <laughs> you, it looks like the glass didn't just impale her face. All right, quick question: What is it with Sam Raimi and screaming women, dog? That's just a horror trope in general. But it's like he oh, like, I don't know. Like, there's that one shot where like where Doc Ock is like climbing the 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 building. I think it's when he has um, Aunt May, right? And he like pushes his uh, his tentacle through the wall, and then that there's like that shot where it like really focuses on that one woman. And I'm like, I remember there's another shot like that in uh, in Spider Man. It's like he just really likes screaming women. It's kind of I don't know, it's weird. That, well, you that know could what? Be a throwback to like old school horror movies from like the 50s, like the big black and white ones, with like the giant ants from outer space and oh, the the woman I mean, screaming in the foreground. You know what? It's what he's known for, right? So he's gonna throw it in there, like, "Hey, I'm a horror director. Don't forget who I am. Uh, this is a superhero movie, but I'm still Sam Raimi." Well, beyond Dude. that, beyond that, I think one of the things that that makes this feel, that makes this world feel bigger than any other Spider-Man movie that came after it, is the fact that you do get these moments where these action set pieces are happening, and then at the same time. It's going, it's, the camera points down to ground level at all the people watching what's happening, and you even get the ghost Spidey go at some point. It's mm -hmm. what, it, like I said, it is what makes this feel like it, it, you're watching an entire living, breathing city in a movie, and that's highly impressive, because even the newer Spider-Man movies, for as good as they are, and as good as I'm sure that the third Spider-Man Home movie is going to be, I, there's just nothing in those movies yet that to me has like captured that overarching like the city is in danger and only Spider-Man can save us like the way that this movie does. And 
I think beyond that, I think one of the things I'd like to posit right now for discussion is, to me, this is a perfect comic book movie. Everything that it does is perfect. You you take the character, and I think the only comparative that I could find for it, because I don't think that... I, I, I actually think it's Superman 2. And recently I watched Superman 2 a few years ago, and very much it's super similar. Uh, Superman is dealing with like the fact that he wants to be with Lois Lane, and at one point he does pick being with Lois Lane over being Superman, and he loses his powers. And this movie does a lot of that. And Sam Raimi talked about it when he did the original Spider-Man. Like, even the moment where Peter, like, unbuttons the shirt to show the Spider-Man suit under him. Like, he, he talks about how that is lifted directly from the original Superman movie, the Richard Donner film. On top of, you know, bringing his sensibilities as a horror director in, there's a ton of references to specifically Superman 1 and 2 in both of these movies. And I think it's appropriate that these movies are in the same style because Superman, if you watch it, if you watch those two original Richard Donner movies, it's the same deal. There's elements of it where, especially the Krypton stuff, a lot of it was like this really psychedelic horror stuff. This Phantom Zone stuff was horror. And then you get like the fish out of water comedy stuff with, you know, with, with Zod Kryptonians that are on earth and stuff. And that's kind of, that is absolutely what this movie does. And this movie introduces a villain that is a lot more sympathetic than even as fantastic as uh, the Green Goblin was in the last film. It's just, Doc Ock just feels a lot more relatable in this. Like, because he's just someone who is a brilliant mind trying to change the world. And he, you know, you get the scene of him and his wife having dinner with Peter Parker. And where they're kind of giving him advice on what he can do to impress the woman that he's... You know, that he's in love with and stuff like that. And it's just like, that is perfect. Pitch perfect. And few movies get villains right like that. Uh, yes, I too relate to the giant four metal arms coming out of his back. That made me feel included. That was right before he became <laughs> Dr. Octopus. Come on. <laughs> Suck my ass. We talked about so many horror movies where literally, like, it's it's horror movies that are being used to tell a greater, like, you know, a, a greater parable about something in our world, right? And I think... Say it. The word is scarables. I'm trying <laughs> to trademark that shit. And, but that's what I mean. It's like, it's... it's Yes, of course. It's like we're we're not going to absolutely relate to these characters, and nobody has superpowers like Spider Man. But still, the reason why you care about these characters and why you relate to them so much is because the writer and the director have focused on super relatable aspects of their personality. How many of us as adults don't have a ton of things that we need to balance and juggle at once? And we ask ourselves, like, over and over and over again, are we spending enough time on all the right things? That is a highly relatable thing, especially now. Adulting. Right? Yeah. Adulting. <laughs> Peter Parker is adulting in this. Like, and I think... No, but, but just to go back to your point, I mean, um, you know, like, like from, from my perspective, like, this is one of the best um, superhero movies because of some of the comic book references that they made, you know, like, a lot, a lot of the scenes that we saw are, like, straight out of a comic book. Like, you know, like, there's a car chase scene, and then the thugs get hanged by the light post. Like, you've seen it in the video game. You've seen it in the comic book pages. And then, like, I don't think... Uh, there's no there's no more iconic 
like cover page than when he puts his um his Spider Man suit in the garbage can. Like the Spider Man like, No More cover. Spider Man No More, yeah, right. So like, um, this is just like the like them referencing the source material is like on point. It's like perfect, like Angel's saying. I remember I read an article a long time ago that um, Sam Raimi, when he was filming these movies, really tried really hard to capture as much of the feel to Golden Age Spider-Man as he could. So he drew a lot of he drew a lot of his inspiration from that like early Spider-Man, like Steve, um, yeah, Steve Ditko. Uh, Stan Lee run like those first 50 issues right hence why the color palettes on all the costumes are so bright and vibrant and that's why the backdrop of the city is so alive and that's why like all these um extras like you know it's a meme on the internet it's a meme about how uh how extras on spy on the original like in the spider-man trilogy go above and fucking beyond as, as far as any other extra goes right um, that like, yeah, like he just really wanted to encapsulate what that felt like and like that, that vision he had. And especially after rewatching this movie, it was such a, yeah, I mean, it just, it felt like he legit just storyboarded. He took comic books and like panels and used that as a sto- storyboard and was like, I want to make this a movie. And I think in that sense, yeah, as far as superhero movies go, this is probably the most true to form to the source material. I mean, it captures the vibe, like, possibly, yeah, like, possibly the best. Um, And I think Angel was talking about... So is the Doc Ogg, and I guess I'll direct this at Danny, is the Doc Ogg, like, is his origin story, like, based on something in a comic book? Or did they just take elements of it and, and... and build it that way. Well, I think the way they, they interpreted it in uh, Spider-Man 2 is more along the lines of kind of like Frankenstein's monster. Um, my, If I remember correctly, the original introduction of Dr. Octopus from the comic books was just him like being a bank robber, um, which they kind of uh, addressed in this movie too, um, but they gave him why he's robbing a bank here. He just happened to have these big mechanical arms as, like, part of his gimmick. Yeah, back in the day, they didn't really go that far into the background of, like, the the bad guys. It was just more so, like, oh, Spider-Man needs to have this bad villain to fight. What can we throw at him kind of thing. That That's how Spider-Man ended up with Stiltman as a villain. Like, it was just villain of the week sort of thing. It was. And then if you notice, uh, a lot of Spider-Man's villains or Rogue Scally are based on animals. And I think that has to do with, you know, Spider-Man being an animal-derived hero as well. You know, it works. Like, uh, it doesn't feel out of place. Um, like, if you think of, like, Iron Man's villains, a lot of them are, you know, other guys in robotic suits, right? Because that works. Um, except for, you know, you get the Mandarin, who's kind of odd in, in that sense. Um, and then if you have, if you look at, like, Captain America, a lot of his villains are... Uh, Based on you know nationalism, uh, other other patriots from other countries, kind of stuff like that. Um, it's just like the theme of the the hero, and I, I think that over like covers over you know all of his villains, and it, it works that way because um, they do fit in the way they do. 
it just offers a really good foil to the hero. It does. Kind of, right? kind of like a balance. Do you want to know why he's such a good foil for Spider-Man in this movie? Think about what we've been talking about the entire time. Peter Parker has trouble balancing out all these different things and essentially multitasking. How many arms does Dr. Octopus have? And how many different things can he do Shut with all the fucking fuck robotic up. arms that he has? Come on! Come on! Juxtaposition! He can kill a man, he can fucking make a son in his apartment, and he can still be jacking off. Like, he's he can do everything. He's literally climbing up a building while carrying Aunt May with him. <laughs> Unfortunately, like, when he captures her and she's, like, using her umbrella to hang off a building, I'm like, oh my god, like, how has she not fallen? And how are her arms? Like, she <laughs> has some real arm shape. strength. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she boulders on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to hit me with some philosophical shit, like, oh yeah, he's a perfect foil because he represents the father relationship that Peter never had, and you motherfucker, you use actual arms, like, because he's a good foil. <laughs> well, he, he does! No, arms. no, definitely, definitely. Look at everything he can balance. Well, there's there's an element of that, right, as well. The the idea that, oh, that Norman like, Osborn... my daddy. <laughs> yeah, like, Norman Osborn in the last movie is essentially a father figure to him. Um, in this film, Doc Ock is a father figure to him. Dr. Connors is a bit of a father figure to him. Kind of. A disappointed father. <laughs> yeah, and even in the newer Spider-Man, it, again, when you make your hero young and someone who does not have that figure in their life, I think it does make sense when a lot of their villains are you know, people who could have filled that role who end up not. So oh, it's, man. and even in this case, in this point, like, you know, once, once he does reach the, the point where he, you know, I love the scene where, where, where he goes, you know, he gets at right immediately after he got fired at the pizza shop, he goes and he gets fired by Jay Jonah as well. And it's just the same thing. And there's just all these like male figures in, in Peter's life who are doing bad by him, no matter what. Uh, oh, the Jay Jonah wants to fire him every film, minute. <laughs> the theme of this film is how much can we shit on Peter Yeah, like before and, and, he finally breaks, because he loses both jobs in one day. We see fucking his, his, uh, his landlord is a total dick that's just riding him all the damn time. And even, like, by the time he finally gets to Aunt May's house to celebrate his birthday, which he completely forgot about, you know, he's getting shit on by Harry and, and uh, Mary Jane, too, because Harry's mad at him because he's best friends with Spider-Man, quote-unquote, and he's resolving his own daddy issues. The and then Mary he Jane. and Harry are still friends in this movie is the one thing that, like, rings false to me. It just doesn't make any sense. It's like, it, yeah, it's like, it's it's like yes, it's like, if, if Spider-Man is really going to be your moral enemy now, there's just... There's no way that these guys would be friends anymore, and it's just, like, the nature of friendships are... <laughs> once you grow apart from someone, if there's, like, such a rift between you, it's like, no, you're not still going to be friends with that person who you believe is is best friends with the guy who you who you think killed your father. <laughs> I don't think that's what I would do. Well, yeah, Harry, Harry actually has a lot of, like, backhanded comments towards Peter in that regards. Like, yeah. He, he mentions it several times before... Um, he finally blows up on Peter and slaps him in the face at that party. Oh, he yeah, got they're... drunk and just started slapping him in the face, and I was just like, man, I wish I could do that to Angel right now. 
<laughs> Harry is Harry is very much a villain in this movie and as well. And I, again, I did not really like MJ in this, and unfortunately, because I, I, oh, I, I, I incorrectly. Let's take a moment to talk about Mary Jane real quick, y'all, <laughs> because she's insufferable. For oh. like nine tenths of this movie. <laughs> no, I feel yeah. bad. I I feel bad because I think that I think her characterization, it's it. I think it suffers from. I don't think she's the right actress who who should have portrayed this this role. I, I just don't. There, there's something about her that just doesn't. You know, when I think of MJ in the comic books, it's just it's not. I, it doesn't make sense to me, and it doesn't like compute somehow. And on top of that, it's just they just don't write her very well in this. Like they she, do not, okay, they don't okay, do her any favors? Sure, maybe Peter Parker didn't. Angel pay wanted him. a natural redhead. <laughs> no, maybe they Peter Parker didn't. Bryce Dallas Howard, dog. <laughs> no, they had to wait for her to be Gwen Stacy. <laughs> no, well, it depends on how they characterize her. Because unfortunately, as much as I like Bryce Dallas Howard, like she was, she she suffers from that same characterization problem in Jurassic World too, and it's just like. I don't know. It's just. It's just. Uh, it's just. I don't. I don't like the way that these characters are, are. Are. I don't like the way that she's written in this. And and she she comes off as super unlikable because at the end of Spider Man One, even if he doesn't tell her I'm Spider Man, she kisses him, and it's very clear from the look on her face that that you can infer that she knows who Spider Man is. And I guess in this movie they kind of reverse that or retcon that in a way in that like. Okay, she has no idea that that's what it is, and it's just like immediately, it, you know. Okay, fine. Just for the purpose of the story, you have to make it so that Peter keeps disappointing her. But the fact that she like moves on right away, she's with a guy who like you know who seems to really care about her and John Jameson. Who oh, like well, look, even look, try- we don't. We don't know if she moved on right away. That's the other thing. We don't know how long she's with John for. It literally because this like, is two years yeah. after, but it feels like this could really have taken place a week apart, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the whole time she's like, like the the scene when they're at Aunt May's house, she's really trying to get Peter to be like, just say you love me, just fucking say you love me, you dick. And the entire time he's just like, no, I don't because I am Spider Man. Wait, no, I'm not. <laughs> and then. Oh. Suddenly, you know, she she finally like on her way out and tries to neg him by being like, "Oh yeah, I'm seeing somebody." Like to try to make him jealous, and I'm just like, "Bro, you're fucking up this character." Like, no, Angel said everybody was totally relatable. Come on, <laughs> everyone except Angel. <laughs> Who hurt you, Jose? <laughs> Every single person in this well, movie. Well, no, okay, movie. okay. Harry, Harry, and I related MJ. to the garbage guy. <laughs> Harry and MJ are very difficult to, to like have to put up with. Both of them, like you just, there, there's no way. I just, I, I want them as far away from Peter as possible because they just, they seem like such a toxic influence on them. <laughs> 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 like I just can't handle it, and you know, keep the chin up, young king. I do. But, I, I mean, look at the look at the history that we've had with like Harry, right? Like in in the first Spider Man, like. He he's like his own dad almost like pays no attention to him, like he even sees like Peter like as a brighter like young man compared to his own son. So mm-hmm. it's like 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 uh, Javi said like he's <laughs> dealing with daddy issues. So like <laughs> I think I think you know him putting all his focus on trying to f- figure out who Spider Man is and like get rid of him once and for all is like 
all that's been going through his mind. So, right, it's like like, like you said, like that 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 will turn a person toxic, right? Well, it's even like, then, it's like that will will win Norman's affection, even though this guy is super fucking dead. Well, I called this movie perfect, right? So it's like to me, I think it still is perfect, despite the fact that there are these characters that I don't like because these characters feel less like actual people and more like obstacles that are in Peter's way. So it's just like, it's like, to me, the main story of this is Peter dealing with the fact that he is Spider-Man and then having to defeat Doc Ock, right? Like, those are the two, like, main objectives of this movie. And the other characters, like, I cannot really care about them if I want to just because they are obstacles that are in the way of Peter getting to where he wants to be. And, um... I think this movie also very much posits the idea after uh, after Aunt May gets saved by Spider-Man. Uh, it, it strongly hints in the discussion that he's having with Aunt May when she's packing up because she's going to be leaving her house, like that she knows who Spider-Man is, right? Am, am I am I misreading that moment? I didn't get that vibe. No, what? not at all. I don't. I I got that vibe uh, completely. I, I agree with you. I mean. It's it's assumed that she is aware of who he is. I mean, who who wouldn't be like you know when when he saved her and she's like when he saved her from Doc Doc, um, she was like or he was like we sh- we showed him didn't we and she's like we yeah I, again it, what I like about that is to me it's just it, it's it's a poor characterization of Aunt May if you're gonna make her like aloof and completely unaware of what's happening around her and you know the new spider-man series fixes that because young aunt may like you know after that first movie she does know who who he is and in the second film like she understands that peter parker is spider-man and in this i think they, they kind of do the best of both ways because you know like she she may never have to say it but at least you can again and i will ignore that spider-man 3 exists like just in the in for the purposes of this movie this movie does it perfectly because it gives you the idea that she knows he's Spider-Man. You know, after all these after all these discussions with MJ and just, like, the fact that he's been... I don't know, it's just like, you know, it's just... Everyone is, is kind of forcing him to, like, you know, well, we don't like Spider-Man. Like, we're, we're not really for Spider-Man. How come Peter's not with us? Like, everyone else's motives in this feels... And obviously because they don't know he's Spider-Man, but it feels really selfish, right? And it's just like everyone else is putting him in the opposite direction to where he shouldn't want to be Spider-Man anymore. And then I think the where it really serves the plot well to have all these people in New York who are like you know on the periphery of everything is that they are the ones who want Spider-Man back. And then Aunt May kind of becomes a collective voice for everyone who talks about like how important it is for him to be there. And that discussion, that that scene, is the reason why that New York subway fight that he has with Dr. Octopus is just excellent. Like, it is excellent. I think it is right up there with that semi from Dark Knight. Like, you know, the semi tipping over in Dark Knight and just, like, one of my favorite, like, action scenes in a comic book movie. Oh, best superhero fight, easily. Yeah, I mean, they they showcase, like, all the the powers that each... um... Like Spider-Man, you know, swinging through the walls, climbing through the walls. Doc Ock, like crushing his tentacles through the windows, and then they're just fighting, fighting uphill, uh, up a building. Like that's fucking crazy. Like it's 
2004, we, we wouldn't even dreamed of like graphics like these. And I think one of the awesome things they're able to do was uh, with the CGI was just they were very smart about it. They they tried really hard not to have to animate faces. And if they did animate like uh, like Alfred Molina's face or something, the camera was just far enough that you couldn't really get any like the really like bad jarring details. But you know, like so you can tell, of course, yeah, this is CGI. But it was you know the fact that they they went with the less is more approach and you know hiding some of the some of the crappiness with like just clever camera angles. It just really made the, the you know it made for even better fights. You know. Like I, that's one thing I'll give this, this movie is it has a fucking incredible superhero fights. It it has what superhero fights feel like, you know, as you're reading it in the comic. Like there's gravity to the the fights in this that you yes. don't see as much in more modern movies. Oh, definitely. Like I, I you know, like there's a there's a lot of movies that try to ground everything into realism and try to like. You know, especially with MMA becoming so fucking popular in the last, like, 15 years. Um, you know, everything felt like there's a lot of choreographed fights in uh, superhero movies that feel like MMA fights. And it was cool just to see a big fucking superhero fight. For, like, you know, I can't think of another movie that had a fight like this, like you were saying, Danny. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the themes in the film is the hero sacrifice, and it's something maybe we haven't discussed um, yet. Um, we see him trying to do right by Mary Jane to go see his her play, and then what happens? Like, like there's a police car chase, and then he doesn't make it to the show on time. So then that damages like the relationship with Mary Jane. He's not there for Harry. Um, so that tarnishes their relationship and he's failing at school. He can't help on May pay rent. It's just like everything is falling apart. Once he has that heart to heart with on May, she's the one that makes him realizes that sometimes you got to let go of your dreams to do what's right. And that's when he decides to go back and be Spider-Man. That is such a sad lesson. When you say it out loud. <laughs> I mean, if you if you go back to like, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. That's all Spider-Man's been about, and he's been given these powers. So, what's he gonna do with them then? Well, there's that one scene where he uh, he's sitting in the car with Uncle Ben, and it's kind of like the whiteout background. So it's obviously like a like a vision or a dream that he's having, where he's talking to Uncle Ben, and Uncle Ben's like, "No, you know, you, great power, great responsibility." Um, and Peter's like, I don't want to do this anymore, kind of thing. And uh, that that was kind of when he decided Spider-Man no more, right? And it actually helps his life for a little bit, right? Like, he's there for his friends, he starts doing better in, in his but then, classes. But then there's like... that line from Mary Jane, and she's like, you have changed. And another, like, kind of backhand comment, like, you have changed, but for the worse. Like, she can sense that, you know, he's not being true to himself anymore. He's just well, like, and then you see him like you know he's he's Peter Parker again, right? He's like forgotten all about Spider-Man. Life is better for him, but at the same time, he's walking through New York and he sees like a guy getting mugged. And what does he do? He turns his back on him. He walks away, and, yeah. and he knows that's wrong. And then you know the people that are burning in the in the building, he's only able to save one person, and several other people died. And that kind of just makes him think like, you know, I could have done something. 
And it's kind of like you, that little girl had super strength. She like pulls him up with one hand. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, like I see what you're saying though, because like you get that awesome moment right where the firefighter comes up and tells him, "You got guts, kid." And then right after the other firefighter be, tells him, "Hey." You know, we got someone that burned up on the fourth floor. We couldn't get him out. And, like, you just see the change in Peter's face, like, immediately go from being ecstatic that he can he, he can be a hero without being Spider-Man. And then just immediately feeling like he let himself down and he let the city of New York essentially down, you know? I had this, like, kind of dark moment in that scene um, where he, like, gets the little girl back to the parents. And, like, they, they were like... That's not our daughter. (laughs) 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 Go get the right one. (laughs) And then the building collapses. Well, even even when he like saved all the people, right? Yeah, like 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 we've talked about. It's like even the the fire department talks about you know how someone was missed, right? Right. And it's just kind of like it it is that is the the point of this is really this is the part where he learns of the responsibility. Part. And actually, I didn't really take his discussion with like with uh, MJ as her like kind of you know is saying it as an insult that 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 you know that he has changed. Like to me, it really was. It actually felt like you know he he was changing. And by the end of this movie, he is both of those guys. He's that Peter Parker um, in the middle of the film, who's a lot you know who's able to kind of live his life again. But at the same time, he is also going to be that Spider-Man from the first movie where, you know, everything was new and exciting and there was such a level of optimism to it. And I think it's, and I think a good chunk of it comes from the the train battle, the train fight, right? Particularly in the end where, uh, you know, everyone is happy that Spider-Man is back, period, right? Like even J. Jonah is (laughs) when he comes back, (laughs) which, you know... Come on, like, one of the best scenes in this movie is watching uh, J.K. Simmons in a Spider-Man suit, like, <laughs> jump on his desk while, while all of his subordinates are, like, peeking at him through the blinders. <laughs> hey, that's only in the extended version. I thought oh, so. is it? I, don't, I, I didn't wow. remember that, like, at all yeah. until, like, I saw, like, later on on the internet, like, oh, delete Yeah, that's, that's in Spider-Man 2.1. Oh, gotcha. Okay, so Spider-Man 2.1 is the version of this movie that I watched for this podcast. I watched regular Spider-Man 2. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I watched both versions. Um, I think I watched I watched 2 yesterday and 2.1 today. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's Which only like a five-minute difference. Uh, probably the first one. Was the elevator pitch seen in the extended version? Because I, I didn't remember that either. The elevator pitch was in the extended version. Oh, okay. The, what's his I name? Hal? I yeah, just remember him. A I just remember him because he was like when VH1 used to do all the "I Love the '80s" like in the mid aughts. Like he was one of the people that would show up in that. Oh. It was like him, yeah. and, like Michael <laughs> Ian Black, and like all these other like guys who like kind of saw their stuff, but not really. <laughs> you mean all so. those like C tier funny guys? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it's um, you know, kind of going back to the uh, to the theme that Jose brought up, like the whole the the idea of the hero sacrifice, right? It's really interesting because, you know, there's that scene at the beginning of the film, like it, and it's exactly what Doc Ock tells Peter is kind of what Peter goes through, like Doc Ock when he's giving him the love advice and he tells him, you know, that 
Oh, um, you can't know, keep love a secret. Yeah, that's the one where he's like, you can't keep your love a secret, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, and that's exactly what happens is that he the entire movie after that is the the thing going on with Peter is that he can't admit he loves Mary Jane. He can't give himself that idea of having a normal life with her because he's Spider-Man. And as a result, that's when he starts losing his powers, right? Um and he completely resigns himself to living that to, you know, living that life just as Peter Parker. But the other part of it is it brings back that I I personally feel that Peter does love the responsibility. He does love being a hero just as much as he loves Mary Jane. And that's the other thing he might not want to admit, because it's not until he talks to both Aunt, uh, Aunt May and she gives him that pep talk about, you know, being you know like the importance of heroism and then when he goes and he talks to mary jane it was like finally he had that moment where he can accept both of his loves in his life um and he accepts them and he he can finally do both right um he can be there for mary jane at the same time he can still be spider-man um it's really cool it, it reminds me of that line that angel probably remembers way better than me from uh arrow where I think it's Slade, or someone tells Oliver Queen that, uh, was it, like, a man that lives in two worlds can survive in neither, or something like that? And, you know, that's for the bit, for a majority of the part or, of uh, Spider-Man 2, we see Peter go through that, where he's trying to straddle these two worlds, and he can't, he can't do good in either one. It's either one or the other. And then, finally, by the end of the film, we get a Peter Parker and a Spider-Man that's able to kind of take both and, and, of these roles on, you know? Well, the some would argue that this is more of a, like, Peter Parker film than a Spider-Man film, right? Oh, definitely. I think, like, 80% of the movie was out of costume. It was, it was very much more focused on Peter. And his uh, personal life and all that shit. But as I was saying, the, uh, the irony of that, though, is that um, it doesn't all come together for Peter um, until he accepts that he is always going to be Spider-Man and he tells Mary Jane that, that um, and that's kind of like him choosing Spider-Man over her and um, wanting her happiness over them being together. And then later on, you know, uh, Mary Jane goes back to him at the end of the movie. She comes back. And that is when, to me personally, that like, you know, uh, Angel and I were talking about how we don't like how she was kind of characterized in this film. That's kind of where they pull the, the they pull on the reins a little bit. Yes, they, they pulled the, the horse back from the carriage in that moment. Yeah, because, because the entire film, I was just so done with her, and then finally she comes in, and she has that moment where it's like she understands now, you know? Well, and it just, just, well not only does she understand, you get the impression that maybe she would have understood more if she knew, you know, if Peter was more forthcoming with her. And I really like the... just told her, stupid. Yeah. Well, I really like, I really like the, the, the part where she basically just tells him, can't you just let me make up my mind, right? Which is just fantastic. It's perfect. And he it's was Peter. like, women making up their own minds. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like, yeah, it's a perfect moment where it's like, okay, fine. You might have been a little difficult to kind of put up with, like, in terms of a character, like, throughout the movie. But at least if, if this is the moment that we're at, that we're getting at the end, sure. Like, that's, that is that is that is just fine. And, you know, we, again, we talked about the, the train sequence, uh, the, end, the, the ending of the train sequence as well, right? Where, where 
Peter is like unmasked. Uh, he gets carried by all the tr- by all the commuters inside of the train, and oh, they all like Peter H. Christ. Yeah, and and again, this is like I said, this is a thing that fits in this movie and works because of the time that it's coming out in. Like it's it's perfect, right? And um, it, it, to me, it just it just makes absolute it just it just makes absolute sense in terms of just the city of New York, like. Again, like we talked about, they wanted a hero in that city. Spider-Man is very much like that city's hero now. And it is him embracing the responsibility of who he's going to be. And uh, and he just... I mean, I can imagine that so as someone who's getting completely shit on for the entire film, to have like a scene where you have a train full of people who are showing you gratitude has to, be, <laughs> has to make it easier for him to take on this burden. And there's been a scene like that in... Well, at least the... I can say for sure in Spider-Man one and two. I don't remember in Spider-Man three, but you know, they're like, there's that scene. Uh, you know, it goes back to the whole giving New York life and making the city of New York itself a character in this narrative. Because, like, you know, I think back to that that scene where in Spider-Man one, where uh, Spider-Man is saving the kids from the uh, from the trolley, right? That's like about to fall over on the bridge. Yeah, on the bridge, and when he's holding it together, and then uh, Green Goblin is flying by, just punching him, like just doing these flyby punches, <laughs> and then like the city, like you know, the citizens of New York, like get out of their cars, grab a bunch of trash, and start throwing it at Green Goblin because he, you know, they're trying to help uh, Spider Man, and it's like, damn, dude, like, and that part I do agree with Angel. I'm like, they, they did a fucking amazing job of having like the the city itself be a character you know a city itself that's not just a character but supports spider-man yeah like a city that's behind him and i think that's that's a that's a really great way to just kind of you know to have it there i think the one thing that we kind of haven't discussed yet in this film um is this is... <laughs> fucking bitch <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's the score right um the original spider-man was scored by danny elfman who Famously, also did Batman, and you know Batman so pretty much put him on the map. Batman, but well, it put him on the map, right? Because he's done like a ton of different scores ever since then. And it was stuff like Dark Man in the mid '90s that he also did the score to. Um, but I think with this movie, it's it should be important to note that uh, Spider-Man Two was only partly scored by Danny Elfman. I think he and Sam Raimi have a bit of a falling out during production of this. And the guy who he actually brings to replace Danny Elfman for the second half of this is uh, is a composer called Chris Young, and I know him because he he did the music to Hellraiser and uh, <laughs> A Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two. <laughs> so those are much like Sam Raimi. Those are very different movies to start with. Uh, to where now you're making this giant like tentpole blockbuster, and to be honest, like the same thing for Danny Elfman, right? Before Danny Elfman became Batman, like he was Oingo Boingo and like did Beetlejuice score for <laughs> for Tim Burton. So it's you know these things are it, this this score is definitely I, I, it's more memorable to me than the original one because the original one the only the only thing I can really remember from it is the opening credits music, and I think. The opening credits for this music for this was different, right? Mm, yes, yes, it is. 
I, I, I did like the opening credits in this film because it kind of gave us a recap of Spider-Man 1, which I thought was pretty cool. Without having a narrator be like, last time on Spider-Man, they just did it in a very artistic way. It was, ni- it was nice. I liked it. Can I give a shout-out to Alex Ross, who did the artwork? That's an, that was Alex Ross? I think so, yeah. Oh, that was fucking sick. That was really cool. Because <laughs> I was about to say, it was really nice art. And yeah, Alex Ross is really good at doing that kind of realistic-looking style. Oh, man. Anything else you guys want to mention about... Question. Yes. Does, does Bruce Campbell play the same character in 1 and 2? No. Is he in part 1? Yes, he is. He has a cameo, and he plays a different character in each one. Oh, okay. In, in all three movies, he shits on Peter. He he. <laughs> there's a joke he makes where he's the only villain to get one over on Spider-Man <laughs> in all three movies. <laughs> See, in my head... It's the same character, and he just keeps losing his job. <laughs> he just keeps fucking with Peter Parker. <laughs> nice. Oh man. Well, I guess before we you do, know. we do end up on this. We probably should uh, discuss, you know, the ending of this film, which, you know, it's is MJ's marriage to John Jameson, right? I feel so bad for John. He didn't deserve it. He, he did nothing wrong. He was, yeah. As far as we know, he was the best boyfriend ever. You know what the best part is? Is that, you know, when Mary Jane hates Peter Parker, he he's the one. John is the one that's like, don't you want to invite your best friend? And uh, she goes, no, he's a big, stupid jerk. Yeah. Oh, my God. And, and, her, like, and her reaction to that, is, on top of calling him, like, a big jerk... Is she literally tries the upside down kiss with him that she couch. does with Peter in the first movie, and he's like absolutely blown away by it, and she uh. could not give any less of a fuck about <laughs> him. And it was just like, fuck, like why are you doing this to me? <laughs> he's such a nice guy. He's we an don't astronaut. <laughs> Literally, none he of us deserve. Football on the moon, got national hero. That no, means we're... he can get whoever he wants, though, because he's an astronaut. He's probably He'll getting snizz on the rig. <laughs> <laughs> well, doesn't he get like? A... Yeah, I mean, isn't he like one of the astronauts who like gets like venom juice all over him, like in the rocket in the? St- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the animated series. Yeah. It goes away uh, on the meteor, right, or something like that. Oh, speaking of which, the Prometheum uh, Venom, X. <laughs> speaking of which, Venom, let there be carnage. Let's go. I'm really juiced for that. But that's neither here nor there, right? It's, now. Uh, it got delayed. I read. It got yeah. delayed. Oh fuck! Like next until well, next year. Yeah. Like what? What's gonna shoot right now, Javi? Uh, anything with CGI in it. Stupid. <laughs> anything in your house. <laughs> and my only fans. All right, one one thing I do want to talk about before we end this series. Yeah, because I never I'll... got to finish the discussion on how MJ leaves her wedding in the middle of her wedding, stands up John to run back this is to more important than in a that, wedding dress. Okay? <laughs> it was I want to talk ending. about. I want to talk about the stupid robot arms and how stupid they are. Okay. I want right. to talk about how these robot arms apparently. There's a bigger, deeper problem in this movie that no one is talking about. We're not talking about the fact that Otto Octavius can create a second sun that can envelop the entire fucking half city of New York and can destroy us. Okay, okay, so what's the, practi- right? what's the practical the purpose of, the of this? What's the there practical, is no practical purpose, purpose of this? Of the and why is it his life's work? Stupid. 
I don't know. Re- oh, renewable energy for yeah, that or something. It's like free energy. Yeah, energy for everyone. Science fiction reusable energy. All right. Shut up. Marvel uses quantum in every other word. Nothing matters. Okay. <laughs> I do like that the Spider-Man video game. I think kind of what I like about it is that the Doc Ock's like technology is more of like developing. Uh, it's developing like biotech, like it's you know, prosthetics bi- bi- for prosthetic, yeah, like prosthetic limbs that are that you know that that will allow your to be controlled by your nerves and stuff like that. That's in this definitely. one, it's Alfred Molina's like, shove, nerd, I want to touch hot stuff with big arms. <laughs> <laughs> Get your hands off my mini about... son. And let's so... not forget his bad joke about the lost money in the rubber band. <laughs> yeah, we got your rubber band back. I was like, shut the fuck up. Oh, you son of a bitch. That's an angel joke. That was an angel joke. So there's this scene where he's like, they, he's introducing the arms, right? And they have that part where the needles go into his spinal cord so they can control the arms. And then, you know, and, they, and it, their appendages, he can move them. Says that they're connected through his uh, cerebral cortex, yada, 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 big science medical words. But then one of the, one of the, um, one of the reporters asked, wait a minute, the AI in your robots, doesn't that mean they can maybe take over your mind? Foreshadowing. Yeah, that was like, foreshadowing. And I was like, wait, why do these, first of all, why do these arms need AI? That's stupid. If they're appendages, like if he's just using them as appendages, that's already kind of dumb. I'm like, second of all, we have an AI that developed so fast that has <laughs> that fucking Doc Ock starts arguing with it and like having these conversations with the arms in his head. And also, for some reason, these these robot arms have absolutely zero qualms committing crimes because they are the ones that tell him to go <laughs> rob the bank. Well, didn't like Norman so Osborn get like gassed by something that like turned him insane? Like, there's just like yeah, there's, but that there's always crazy. this like. There's this, like, insanity MacGuffin that exists in both of those, like, Spider-Man films that you just kind of have to go with. But it's stupid to me. Yeah, it's, it's like Batman. It Everyone is... falling in the in a vat of chemicals and then turns evil? Come on. It's no, stupid. this is him being controlled by Bender from Futurama. Like, that's <laughs> all it is. Well, you know, I kind of agree with, like, I think the one thing about this that I would probably take away if I could rewrite it is I would take away the fact that it's, like, that one little jewel thing that's on top of this, like, device. Like, that crystal thing that, like, keeps him from going insane and that it blows up and then he goes crazy. Like, it's I, the I one probably, crazy chip. The anti-crazy yeah. chip. That's, like, the one I thing really that I probably would rewrite, for sure. But, uh, but it's called an inhibitor that's chip. <laughs> that's what it was. Nah, we call it the insanity chip. I like <laughs> it. I like it. <laughs> don't you need it so you don't go insane? Hey, shut up. You make your own shit. Oh, it's, you know, it's funny. I don't even know how I'm going to... Well, I am going to make this uh, this connection there in a way. I think it would have been better if, if you did get the impression that he was a imperfect character before he becomes the villainous monster. Uh, and I do think that there's a movie that came out in theaters this year that uh, that I am very much in love with that posits a certain kind of premise. And Invisible I would... Man. Yes. Yes. I highly Sorry recommend... for being a dick and taking the winds out of your sails. No, 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 no. Again, I, I, I just, for some reason, it and because it's a horror movie, right? Like, I very much got a lot of uh, 2020 Invisible Man out of, out of that because it's... 
you know, that, what makes that movie good is that it reimagines a monster as a guy who was a monster before the science fiction shows up. So definitely, sure, I would have gone with that. But, you know, at this point, this movie has hit so many of my sweet spots that I am not going to ask a ton of questions about it. You're like, just shut up and watch it, nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to talk about, since we talked about the score, I do want to talk about Vindicated by Dash and Dashboard Confessional. Uh, okay. Go ahead, take it away, Jose. Sing it for us. Give us the ballad. <laughs> Vindicated. Ah, I forgot how it goes. <laughs> so, That's all I know. would it have been better to have Nickelback? I definitely, that that song, I don't care what anybody says, that song is still, like, I think about both of these movies when I hear that song. I think of all of these movies when I hear them. Right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's like the only time that comes to mind. The Nickelback one was on the first turn or the second one. But it's on the it first was on one. the first yeah. one, yeah. 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 They say a hero save us. Javi. Ah! Yes. <laughs> Do you like Spider-Man too? Yeah, I mean, I never said I didn't like it. <laughs> you just made me out to be the villain of this episode. I, I mean, yeah, I think it's a fantastic comic book movie. Okay. I think it's very schlocky, and I think it's very hokey, and this movie could have been made either in 1984 or 2004, and I think it's one of those movies that has a timeless quality to it, and, and you know, yeah, sometimes the CGI doesn't hold up too well, but overall, this is a great movie. Now, as best far Spider-Man as movie? The, fuck no! That's still into the Spider Verse. I will stand. I by said that live hill. action, live I action. I will die on that hill. No, Jose, you don't get to rewrite history. <laughs> Actually, I think he did say live action in that episode. Shut up! Don't defend. Gaslight. <laughs> I know. I mean, <laughs> you gotta go back and and uh, and listen to minute ninety eight or ninety nine, and you'll, oh, no, you'll hear what I'm talking about. Well, I'm pretty sure we had this discussion twice because we talked about it on Into the Spider Verse, but then we also did Spider Man Far From Home last year. You and I, Javi, and I I swear to God, this conversation has come up in every single Spider Man movie that we've watched. Which is me, like, which has been like me questioning, why don't you love Spider Man? Why don't you love Spider Man too as much as I do? <laughs> I mean, it's it's a fantastic movie. It's just you know, as far as like as far as being a Spider Man film, the best Spider Man story, and like a love letter to the character, I still think it's into the Spider Verse. But yeah, this one's fucking fantastic. Like I said earlier, this was a movie that captured and encapsulated that awesome like initial run of spider-man that made comic book nerds all over the world in the 60s fall in love with the character and it kind of was able to present it to a new audience in 04 and made a whole new other group of nerds fall in love with the character you know so yeah i think it's a great movie i think everyone uh, should watch it and there's a lot of um re-watchability to it all right especially for sam Raimi fans Jose, what are your final thoughts on this movie? Uh, obviously, you like it. You're a Spider-Man fan, but in terms yeah, of fucking nerd. The, in I terms mean, of there, I have Spider-Man. I, I have Spider-Man fans or Spider-Man films that I don't like. So, <laughs> I, I'm sure you ha- you you're the same with Batman. Like, there's films that you hold higher than others. Um, but I mean, I have to agree with Javi. This is the best live-action Spider-Man movie. 
I will neither confirm nor deny any of those things that were said. <laughs> I mean, like it's it's a definitive example of a superhero, what a superhero movie should be. Like, it's got the high stakes. It's got humor. Um, it's got you know Peter um, trying to find his place in the world and balancing between being Spider-Man and Peter Parker. Um, well, I mean, what more can I say about it? Like, none of the Spider, like none of the live-action Spider-Man movies that have came out, um, even I feel hold a candle to it because, you know, you you got the new ones with Tom Holland, and sure he's a great Spider-Man, but he's always seemed to be relying on you know somebody like Iron Man or, um, you know, like happy with Iron Man's leftover gadgets and he's like too this, Tony Stark Jr. Yeah, to Tony Stark Jr. and it just feels like this is what a Spider-Man movie should be. He should be in New York and doing his thing, you know? Uh, Danny? I, I still hold Spider-Man 2 up. That's one of my favorite comic book hero movies. Um, it, I think it holds up today, um, despite, you know, technology, um, like CGI and the lack of cell phones in that movie. But, um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I think it's a great movie. Um, I will still say that um, I think Andrew Garfield and uh, Tom Holland embodied the Spider-Man persona better than Tobey Maguire did. Um, but Tobey Maguire is a better Peter Parker. I'm sorry, did you miss the part where he threw coins at Doc Ock and then said, here's your change? <laughs> I chuckled. <laughs> that was good. Spider-Man I mean, humor. <laughs> and that was about quit. it the entire movie. <laughs> that was one quit. Quit, quit, yeah, and... yeah, that was only like his one Spider-Man joke, and I was like, oh, man. I feel like Tom Holland, yeah, Tom Holland has perfected the Spider-Man banter with villains while he's Spider-Man, and I think that is, that's like the one thing where, where like he will win every single time, because I think even with Andrew Garfield, like I thought it was going to be like that, especially when the trailer for that first Amazing Spider-Man came out, where I was just like, yeah, this is actually kind of funny, he seems entertaining, and then you see him and you're like, oh, well, he's actually like five times more emo than than, than fucking Tobey Maguire was. So, yeah, for sure. Uh, definitely Tom Holland has kind of captured more of the, the more of the Spider-Man character. Um, I think the only, yeah, again, if, it, if I'm coming back to myself on this, I absolutely like this movie. I, in fact, I absolutely love this movie. It is the movie that got me that got me back into superheroes and comic book films in general. It's what set me up to be so hyped over Batman Begins. It is reminds me of my high school years more than anything because it was it's particularly one and two were were such big movies around that time. Um, I think it is it caps it perfectly captures against that post nine eleven mid 2000s uh vibe that you get um from it <clears throat> um it captures a lot of i mean there's there's a good there's a good amount of like just the kind of you know teen dramedy aspect of it like it feels like a television show in some ways like some of the more ridiculous like interactions between like peter mj and uh and Harry, it is very 90210, like, so, or, you know, daytime soap opera kind. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I, I will say, and, you know, and I will say, I just didn't, I didn't expect it to be such an, like, like, I, I remember it being really good, but then when I watch it for this podcast, it's absolutely excellent. Like, it really is. It, it's, 
you already got the origin story out of the way. So, like, you know, we've talked about it. It really is him dealing with being Peter Parker. And by the end of the movie, when he is Spider-Man again, it feels like now you're you're well into, you know, the way you envision Spider-Man in the comics. And I think the most unfortunate thing about this is that the next movie takes all of that goodwill and kind of, like, shoots it into space, literally. <laughs> and, and um, you know, and again, and, and that's not to... And, the fact that I love this movie so much, again, I don't, I don't know why I feel like I have to say this, but just because, you know, less people think that I'm, that I'm still shitting all over Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like, you know, if you go back and listen to Far From Home, I talk about how I love Spider-Man Homecoming and I love Spider-Man Far From Home. And I also think that as big a part of, like, you know, my life and like as much as I care about this film like I know that there's other people who are growing up now and are looking at those newer Spider-Man movies and just all of those MCU movies in general and to them like that is the way that they want to picture it so it really is like you know it really is depending on when you're growing up and like how you're consuming these characters in terms of the cartoons that are available now as opposed to back then I think this was the perfect millennial Spider-Man and now, with the newer series, we are getting Jay's, Gen Z Spider-Man. So, but it's definitely I want Miguel O'Hara. <laughs> but it's recognizable enough to you know to enough people who care about the comic books and enough people who have been following the MCU movies that it's uh, you know that that it's continued to have such a large sustained success. So uh, we'll see we'll see where Spider-Man goes from here. Because on top of the Venom film, they are, you know, Phase 4, I think, of Marvel is going to end with... Isn't it ending with Spider-Man 3 or with new Spider-Man 3? <laughs> mm, I don't know. I think I have to defer to Jose on this one because I think it is. Uh, I haven't looked at the timeline. I know that Sony's deal is for one more. I think maybe more than that. Uh, like I, I think he might just make cameos. I don't, I'm not sure. And you know, Sam Raimi's going to direct Spider-Man Four. Um, I mean, Doctor AKA Strange. Doctor Strange too. <laughs> well, I funny can't enough, wait for Tobey Maguire to be in that movie. It's going to be red. Well, I think we talked about and it. Bruce too, right? Campbell. When we did when we did Far From Home, like we talked about, like how Spider-Man Four had like how the plot of that movie like made it into so many other like films that have come since then. Like, it was the Vulture. It was supposed to be the Vulture yeah. with John Malcolm. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I was remembered that. And it was... We talked about it in our Zodiac episode, because it was written by James Vanderbilt, who wrote Zodiac. I was about to say, how the fuck did we connect those dots? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's... Yeah, it was the same screenwriter, and, uh... And, yeah, and James Vanderbilt is actually, like, credited in everything up to, like, I think Homecoming... Like he's been he's been credited in both the Amazing Spider-Man movies and Homecoming because elements of Spider-Man Four have just splintered off into so many different films since then. So interesting. Uh, yeah, well, Again. I can't wait to have you guys back on the show when we talk about Amazing Spider-Man Two. <laughs> God, the word. I guess I guess we have talked about good ones, and it only makes sense that if we get back together to talk about Spider-Man, that it's going to be one of the worst ones. Me and Javi are eventually going to be doing more Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> if you guys ever want to join us for those, feel free. We're going to start with the good one, Too Fast, Too Furious. 
All right, so I'd like to thank everybody for joining us for this episode. It's a different, bit, it's a little bit of a different episode than what we've been doing, but give us a fucking break. We're all quarantined, and we've been inside of our homes for over a month and a half at this point. Or at least it's feels like it's felt like a full year at this point. <laughs> so, you know, we have to pick different, you know, formats of the show to kind of keep us going. And we'd like to thank everybody for continuing to, you know, listen to the show, continuing to download the episodes of the show. I want to beg that our audience, please, 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 if you have us on Apple Podcasts, uh, leave reviews for the show on Apple Podcasts. Because having those reviews there is going to help get our visibility out in terms of Apple Podcasts itself. So... Uh, please uh, put in reviews on the Apple Store or the Apple Podcast app and uh, continue to interact with us on social media. Uh, we definitely have a lot of different things that we're going to be trying throughout this period of us uh, all self-isolating. <laughs> this is the season where our show gets super weird. Angel's going to be watching <laughs> Dragon Ball Z. It's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's going to get super weird. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's the darkest season of our lives. <laughs> yeah, l- last time we reviewed Into the Spider-Verse, you hadn't beat Spider-Man. How far are you, Angel? I'm probably still about where I left off, like, a few weeks ago. I definitely got further into Spider-Man, so now I'm just, like, I think at Electro. <laughs> I think it's just the, the second one where he's just, like, where you're trying to, like, swing off the different buildings while he's shooting electricity everywhere. Oh, so we should talk about the video games. I mean, yeah. if y'all want to do bonus content on the video games, I'm so down. I fucking love those video games. Spider-Man 2 for PlayStation 2, hell yeah, that was like the best Spider-Man game ever. Oh, that's right. I think the only Spider-Man game that I played besides Spider-Man PS4 was, uh, there was the Spider-Man video game for PS1, right? Oh, that one was so fucking cool. There are two, I think. Yeah, and it was Javi's game. Was, like, uh, I only played it with you because you were the only person I knew who owned it at the time. Yeah, there was Spider-Man and then Spider-Man... Enter Electro. Enter Electro. Yeah, that's the one. Did you ever play uh, Shattered Dimensions? I mean, since you liked Into the Spider-Verse, I think you would dig that one. It was on was, PS3, I think. Is that the one where you played as uh, Spider-Man Noir in 2099? Yeah. I really yeah. wanted to. I, I could never track down a copy. Like I and I always wanted to play it because I heard that the story was fantastic. I heard gameplay was meh, but the story was fantastic. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's probably one of the more recent, like good. One. I mean, besides the the latest, like PS4 one, um, mm-hmm. like that's probably one of the high end ones. Oh man! All right, so uh, yeah, I guess this is it for this episode. And uh... yeah, well, thanks, Danny and Jose, for joining us. That's we really appreciate it. As you can tell, me and Angel... Well, I'm definitely not a Spider-Man verse person, like... So it's always cool to have uh, resident experts and just, you know, fans of the of the content come in and, uh, you know, just share their thoughts with it. So we really do appreciate it. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for having uh, me and Jose on there. Yeah, thank it's you also, for having me on. Thanks for joining us for this episode. Thanks to our guests for joining us on this episode. Um, and we'll talk to you guys next time.